Okay, good morning. It's Tuesday, December 10th, and you're listening to Buddy's Owner, Arizona Schnoodle Walks. So you're getting a little bit of a introduction to life in Arizona. And is Arizona special? Yeah, I think I'm starting to I'm starting to think. Uh, you know, we're pretty we're pretty dang gone special out here. On a map, we're just look at a map. We're just a big area in the southwest. But what makes us different? Well, the climate, I guess, the weather, and uh, super hot in the summer. So really nothing developed here until 50, 60 years ago. So if you plotted the uh, population of the state, it's like really small and it keeps going up, up, up as we uh, develop technology. And it's kind of a hidden gem. I mean, the sun is wherever you are, the sun's doing its thing. But when it comes down to the earth, wherever you are, I mean, you it still may be cold. I mean, we're on, we're all sharing the same planet here. But uh, wherever you are, it's a little different. And uh, so we're getting started here and walk. There's really not any clouds like in the sky, but I have this like mini valley that's like 300 feet lower than where I start walking maybe, and there's a cloud out in the valley. So it looks kind of cool. So that's what I'm looking at. And I did a little prep for today's podcast. See, if you noticed, my intention is to title this podcast Inaccurate worldviews. Um, bad? Are they bad? Question mark. So inaccurate worldviews. Are they bad? And um, this probably fits in with counterintuitive, contrarian. Um, what's the other word I'm thinking of? Contentious. It's not really contentious. So I guess some people that can't look at two sides of a coin, they only want to look at one side of a coin. If you point out this other side of the coin, they may think you're just being contentious. So you got to have a pretty, pretty, uh, Stiff spine. I don't know if that's the right word for it. Terminology. Got to be pretty tough out there, people. Because the way you see things are not probably the way I see them. And uh, we probably expend a lot of energy arguing with each other. So that's one of my personal growths. So another way to look at the flip in the side of the coin is that there's like two sides of the distribution curve above the mean and below the mean so there's even different views on both sides of the coin just to to, to take it one step further so where does the uh, inaccurate worldviews 
and the question about are they good or bad? Well, at first glance, you would think, well, inaccurate worldviews are bad. I mean, come on, if it's inaccurate, then it must be bad, right? And uh, it kind of goes at a deeper level of pointing out that sometimes we attack the worldviews, and this is probably what I do. I'm susceptible to this. And maybe you have an element of it as well. And that we're always trying to get the right belief system, the white world, right worldview. And uh, reading this book, um, Scott Adams points out that sometimes you can get good results from an inaccurate worldview. And it's, again, this is one of these counterintuitive concepts. And, uh, and and so he uses an example. So this is best understood with an example. I, I already know the example, so I kind of get it already. But uh, you haven't heard the example, so um, you probably can't relate to like, how, how does that work? How can, how can an inaccurate worldview end up with good results. And so what he means by that is like, um, uh, it's a bit crude of an example, but if you think of alcohol, right? So like some people have, well, not some people, there's always issues with alcohol, right? So we know that there's drunk drivers, people get killed. Um, you know, it's just, it's not always good, right? Statistically, maybe it's it's not maybe as big as some other things. I don't know. The point being is, he says, like, well, if you consider alcohol the devil's urine, right? It's like, oh, alcohol, man, it's the devil's urine, which coincidentally sounds like something you might hear from a fundamentalist church in the Bible Belt or something because they have those dry counties. So shout out to the B-52s band. Great song, Dry County. <laughs> if you haven't heard the song, it's pretty fun. So yeah, so Dry County. It's, uh, dude, alcohol is the devil's urine. That's not accurate, right? We know that's not accurate. But the, some people that believe that, they may not drink and drive. And the result of not, a potential benefit from not drinking and driving is um, not a car accident. Nobody dies from someone drinking too much and uh, getting in a car accident. So you're getting a, a better result, like nobody's dying, from telling yourself that, oh man, alcohol is the devil's urine, man. So anyway, that's an interesting thought experiment that um, goes in a couple ways. There's probably two sides of the coin on that one too. I prefer, and I would imagine you would too, to have both good results and 
an accurate world view. That's the preferred position. But the, he's pointing out that even with an inaccurate worldview, you may get some good results. And probably we attack, and especially in the political world realm, the attack is on the worldview or trying to read the minds or saying something like, well, if you believe that, then your worldview is like this. That worldview is messed up, you know. So what's, you know, in a lot of ways, I think worldview is important. Um, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't suggest it's a good strategy to develop inaccurate worldviews just to get great results. But what is more important, results or accurate worldview? I don't know. I don't think we'll, we'll get an answer to that. I just wanted to point out to you. So what? Yeah. I guess the so what for you is what are, do we get hung up on our worldviews and making sure our worldviews are perfect? Or do we take action? You know, like you don't have to believe that the that alcohol is the devil's urine to be responsible with drinking. So both would result in not having an accident. And one is based on a more accurate view, worldview, which is being responsible. So it's probably more important to be responsible than to think that alcohol is the devil's urine. Even though it's fun to say that. <laughs> the devil's urine. And uh, so there's that. So what else? We got show notes for today. So we covered that. And uh, did I say it was 49 degrees out here? It's kind of chilly. But the sun's up, so that's nice. And technology-wise, I've got Evernote. And some of you, it's, it's, uh, I've uh, been using, I've had it for a couple of years, but I don't, I haven't fully used the capability. But like right now, I was sitting on my couch doing my journaling because I'm smoking what I'm selling here. And I just made some notes from Second Peter 3. I say like, I'll just copy them over to um, copy them over to my Evernote and Magic. They're on my phone with my, you know, podcasting software called Anchor FM, and we're off and running. And what I I've uh, I started out my system journey focusing on Paul, but I've extended it to everybody else like Peter, John, James. So I read it all, man. I read it all. I've got it all covered. Nothing falls through the cracks with my system, right? <laughs> so what's really fun about Second Peter 3 is Peter's going, this is my second letter to you guys. Yeah. And we, I mean, I, don't, I didn't bother Googling it to find out. I mean, I just... He, so here's the thing. It's like how, again, how super accurate do we have to be about everything? So like, it's a second letter Peter's talking about. To who, where is, you know, it doesn't really say like to Ephesus or 
anything else. It might be Ephesus. I don't know. Can I Google it? Yeah. Could it be someplace else? Yeah. In general, it's the, it's the, you get the flavor of the whole culture and the time. You got Roman Empire over everybody. You got Greeks. You got people in Turkey. Today's Turkey. You got, uh, you know, people just kind of like trying to figure things out. You know? And even though they talk about, you know, fancy people like Aristotle and Plato and things, you know, it's like they're just dudes that were like Areopagus, Areopagus, that had the luxury of of uh, sitting around all day and doing nothing but talking about the latest ideas. Isn't that wonderful? So there's all kinds of people all the time. People that don't have time for doing all the study and there's people that are working, people doing stuff. We all have our calling gifts situations. And the message I have is that it's, it's all God's spirit. It's all you, you know. You're called to something. You follow your calling. A good worldview, a better worldview might be to think of it as you know, a real personal spiritual being that loves you, cares about you, made you, and you're not, you don't have to compare yourself. That's what I love about the witty whiffum. The witty whiffum is, what is that to you? You follow me. It's, it's Peter, the same guy I'm reading this morning, who got smacked around by Jesus himself, right? You know, we always think about, like, oh yeah, Jesus got angry and he smacked around the the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious leaders of his time. But he kind of smacked around Peter at the end. He's like, what's that to you, buddy? What's that to you about what happens with John? What's that to you? You follow me. So that's what I call the great relationship that uh, and it also fits in with the whole thing. It's a mystery, people. I don't get it. I can't convince you of, you know, with apologetics, that all this stuff's true. That's the mystery. And, uh, yeah, I think we've kind of gone a little nutty with our organizational structures and things. (laughs) Yeah, but it's all changing because technology is a great equalizer of voices and messages. And I don't know where this is going to go. You know, it's, it's going to go um, somewhere. It should go. It's healthy. It's good to have a great relationship with God. You know, remember the articles you read about your wealth is only based on the average of your five richest friends? Yeah. Yeah. Well, just make sure God himself is one of those five, because if that's the case, you average the infinite in with your other four friends, and you're good. The average of infinite with your other four friends, 
You're, you're sitting pretty, man. You got a infinite supply. There's no limiting beliefs there. If you start thinking about that, you uh, you won't worry about the wealth. And uh, yeah, what is today? So today I've got this company in Georgia somewhere. It's considering about whether to bring me in for a job interview. And it looks kind of attractive. I mean, I don't know what, I'm assuming it's a fairly well-paid job, but it's kind of tricky these days to find out like what the salary ranges are and stuff. So I'm just, I'm just going with it. And um, with this attitude I've developed over the last couple of years about, I need, I need a side hustle, man. And so do you, you need a side hustle. It takes so much pressure off um, everybody if we have multiple streams of wealth, right, or, or streams of income. And um, when that happens, then you're you're chilling, man. You got, you know, hey, because not every stream of income is going to result in great things, you know, like awesome. So confession of your podcast host here is I didn't have it figured out. I still, I, you know, it's all, we all can learn. It's all good. But the thing is, it's like, I do know that one of my top five friends is God himself, right? Is that, it's not arrogant at all because I'm saying it can be your friend too. <laughs> and it's probably an age thing, you know, seeing your parents die, my dad dying and uh, considering the message that the churches try to, to get out, but they, they kind of get in the way of themselves. They get in the way of themselves with all their robes and candles and uh, traditionally, uh, what is it, musty smelling buildings. <laughs> oh, I was so excited because this lady from Dresden, Frauenkirchen on LinkedIn agreed to accept my connection request. I think I probably asked probably in July or August. So here we are in December. So it only took her four months to get back onto LinkedIn and go, oh, this guy wanted to connect on LinkedIn. Okay. Now, usually like uh, music directors of big churches, they're not like all over LinkedIn, right? To um, make connections and, look for job opportunities because but we don't know where God's leading her because I mean I don't know I think the Frauenkirche in Dresden is like the coolest church on the planet <laughs> am I going to try to sell you on that am I going to try to convince you that that is the case Sure, why not? Why don't I do that? Because that's probably what I do best. Is woo, man, winning you over, win others over. So why is the Dresden Frauenkirche the best church on the planet? Well, you know, Jesus said that we are the temple of God. So essentially, really, Jesus probably doesn't care about all these damn buildings and stuff because what we know that. We know he cares about people, not buildings, but for whatever reason. 
when people couldn't read, which we need to remind ourselves, that when we do read the Bible, that not many people could read the text <laughs> when it was written. And guess what? The writers knew that not many people were going to read what, what they wrote, right? But somehow, magically, uh, the leaders that want to read it for us and tell us what it means have forgotten that we can actually read it ourselves. So anyway, a little diversion there. So uh, yeah, we are the temple of God. Right? It was, it's really made personal, big change, right? Judaism, temple, ark, holy of holies, it all changed, it's a big deal. But somehow we skip over things quickly. And I have that value too, because I have ideas, thoughts, right? Can you imagine that? Me have ideas and thoughts? Yeah. And sometimes I go right to the conclusion and I, and I probably lose people. They're like, well, how did you get to that? And then I remember I got to back up and go through my thought process, which unfortunately for me, like happens way too quickly. And it's like, oh, did, did you hear that? It's like elf. Like I'm you can't see me, but I'm like drinking a gallon of, or a liter of Coke in my head. This is symbolic now, right? So what happens is while I'm even talking, right? So right now, imagine as I'm talking, I'm doing, I'm like magically talented that I can drink a liter of Coke while I'm talking to you. And then I, uh, I belch for like 30 seconds and look around the room and say, did you hear that? <laughs> so you probably knew where I was going with that joke. If you know the movie Elf, you probably heard that coming, saw that coming. Did you hear that? But I do have to, um, so I do the belching for a minute. I think process, come up with a conclusion idea. And I kind of think like, well, everybody's going to follow that. Everybody's understanding that. So that's me. That's my thought process. Full confession. People are different, man. I'm different than you are. You know, I'm not better. I'm just different. So remember that. So part of the now what is go, hey, how often do I assume that people are following the same thought process that I'm following? You know, you have your own unique process you do and it, it i mean i was going to say it works for you but i don't know mine doesn't seem to work for me how do i know if it's working for me right we measure stuff by the stupid dollars which reminds me of the, the gal that uh, did a presentation in a competition with five people and a lot of times we get hung up on dollars numbers you know so and she's got a holy noble calling what she's doing and i don't know what the dollars are but it's the impact is almost immeasurable i think it's really big so it's it's kind of immeasurable so anyway that's a shout out to that that uh, team person it's a holy calling noble so back to the frau and kirche in dresden temple. 
So it's symbolic because it was blown apart. So it was built in like 1780s, Reformation, Martin Luther, Germany's, and you know, right, it's, it's like right in the middle of the Roman Catholic versus Protestant thing. The Italians, so if you like Italian food and you want to go to Tuscany, you know, and enjoy some lovely Italian food, you probably won't be bothered by any Protestants. <laughs> And same with France. It's pretty much like 90%. And the French kicked the Huguenots out. Huguenots are a bunch of Protestants on the western part of France. And some of them ended up in Berlin. They got a little French quarter in Berlin, of all places. Little, little France. France and Berlin. In Berlin. So... Dresden, my uh, my buddy Victor Klemper, Jewish guy at the Dresden University, literature professor. So for you in the writing community, community writers, literature, Victor Klemper, very smart guy, married to a Protestant woman. So all that the, the, the worst thing that happened to him in 1933, 34 was they fired his ass. <laughs> Which just reminded me that my friend Ingrid is kind of like uh, her husband, Klaus, was uh, a head of literature at Humboldt University in East, former East uh, Germany. And he got fired, too, when there was a big governmental change. So big governmental changes can cause a big change in your daily schedule. <laughs> so old Klaus, because uh, he's a card-carrying member of the Communist Party. Yeah, yeah we, we don't want you here anymore at, at Humboldt University. So Victor Klemper had something similar. He's like, oh, you're Jew. You're not part of the Nazi party, so you, you lost your job. So the dude does a diary. And I, have to, I do have to attribute um, Victor Klemper or give him some credit for me um, being having some level of motivation to do my journaling. And, it, and it's a real chore to read his books. He's got two books, one I Will Bear Witness. And, you know, it sounds like a really ambitious title, like he's really going to be in the forefront of the nasties, right, and explain all the nasty things that happened in World War II. And so an ambitious title, I Will Bear Witness, right? But I plowed through it, and I'm like, oh, dude, you are, it's interesting because he's talking about the most mundane things like, you know, oh, I had to go get some bread today. I had to wait in line. Oh, there's a bread shortage. Oh, we're getting moved out of our house. So every day the dude pretty much writes about crap that's going on in his life, which is great insight. And it, the whole world um, can be thankful for his writing and journaling his life story it's and 
I hesitate to recommend reading the book just because it it's not going to be exciting, folks. You know, and the only way I can make it exciting for you is to you know read it in parallel with the overall history of the times. So, like uh, Cristal knocked, I think it was in nineteen November nineteen thirty eight. So he's already writing in his journal. It was like November 9th. So you can flip over to his diary and see what he was writing in November 1st, 2nd, 3rd, leading up to that event. I mean, I'm sure there was some pressure and some negativity going on that he wrote it. He's interesting. So this is the connection to the Dresden throne here. So here's this guy, Jewish guy, married to a Protestant. So you think he'd the big shocker to me is like never in his journal writing does he ever talk about spiritual things or God. I mean, it's kind of like the major disappointment to me is that here's a guy, here's a guy that's all, pretty much you could say the only reason this guy's alive. So for all you husbands out there, <laughs> what a painful message. This this clown. I mean. His wife right now, and they're both dead, be like, dude, you didn't mention me hardly at all in this book except for to bitch about something. <laughs> and, and, and she never said in her life, like, I don't know if they ever got in arguments or something, but just think of the power that his wife had over him to say, <laughs> how about this in a fight between husband and wife? <laughs> I think you probably know where I'm going. But if you're, if you're a, this, this guy's wife and he's pissing you off and you go like, you know, pal, if you weren't married to me, there's a good chance you'd be over there in those uh, camps over there. OK, so knock it off. <laughs> Talk about being in a power position. man. Wow. For all you women out there. Yeah, you're probably like envious. You're probably nightish. It's like, man, I wish I had something like that on my husband. <laughs> and, and I chuckle. And, and if you don't, for me, I'm, I'm just like numb. It's not, I don't know if it's numb. What it, I don't know what the word is for. Because I, I did have six months of like transition experience of like, dude, this country is like pretty nasty, right? They got a nasty history. I, I saw, and probably you did. You, you know, you may have seen all the war movies, right? So, I mean, I, you know, and I'm like, language is different. So, sure, if someone's speaking another language, it puts you on edge, right? You're like, huh, what, what are they talking about? You talking about me? And then you go all New Yorker on them. You talking about me? So, until you kind of get the culture, the language going, and you sort of like relax and you, you chill out a bit, the whole place is freaky, right? The whole place is kind of a freak show. But it's not really a freak show because it's not really much different than the rest of the world. They just have like a really whack job history, unbelievable whack job history. So um, here's this guy writing this book, and he's from Dresden. And he just writes and writes. So you, you, yeah, that to me is the biggest value is kind of like what, what is going on? In this guy's mind, and and he and he does touch on 
the you know the political a bit you know the special ta- specialties of it and the increasing pressure put on him and his wife as time goes on but like one of my favorites is like february of 1945 so you already know he I mean, he's writing his diary that's like life right it's soren kierkegaard again it's like you can understand backwards but we got to live forward so february 10th 11th he doesn't know that his city is about to get blown apart which is going to set him free and he's going to go on the road for the rest of the the next three months of the war two and a half months and uh, he has no idea but he's like gotten squeezed into the city with all these other jewish people married to protestants or christians maybe even catholics and uh these mixed marriages, they say they, they did pretty well. Mixed as in, uh, you know, um, pro, you know, Christian slash Protestant slash Catholic and a Jewish guy. So he is surviving, but not everybody is. Like, uh, you know, there's older people. So he's probably like 63 years old, but there's probably like 70 and 80 year olds that are just hanging on. And it's a really bizarre situation. And some people are giving up. They're like, oh, crap. I, they told me next week I got to get on a train and go somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. For all those people uh, looking forward to a trip, you know. <laughs> not, not pack your bags and get on the train is always a good result, right? So, um, So, unfortunately, some of the guys were... Uh, self-smart, as they call it, you know, committing suicide. So just days before they were set free. So that's some kind of grit. If you have some trouble in your life right now, if you can just get through the day, one more day, it's painful. There's a lot of emotions in life. We get a lot of thoughts in our heads. I mean, I've, I've done that. I've been here with really bummed out thoughts intense probably because i thought i had more control over stuff than than we really do right i mean yeah we have control over some things but not everything so all right but so what happens on february 13 14 valentine's day 1945 they blow the crap out of the city of Dresden. So at least 100 Jews probably got freed because they didn't get blown up. But <clears throat> at that point, the Germans didn't really care because their city was in, in flames, <laughs> in full meltdown mode. And I kind of, I mean, I'm chuckling, but that's not, that's not night. Well, I, I chuckle because it's like some good came out of it, right? So this guy hightails it out of there with a bunch of other people. And they're on the run. So February 14th, so two weeks is March, January, February, March, April, and that's pretty much over. And they're like, okay, cool. And he goes back to Dresden, writes another diary up until 50-something, which I think I've only gotten a few pages in because now it gets really after the war and his he being in Dresden and communist things. And he, he just didn't have enough diary, diary hooks 
to keep me that interested in his diary. I mean, because it, it just kind of talks about his car or bicycle or this and that. Interesting guy. He did he did write a more, well, to see, he's got another book called The Language of the Third Reich, which talks about how in the newspaper he's a literature guy, so words, and I, and I apparently, I just have to get used to the idea that I do care about words. Words are important to me. Does that make me a freak? I, I don't know. It's not something that uh, engineers usually think about. But I'm, who am I? Am I an engineer? Am I a writer? I think it's, I'm the captain of my own ship, and I guess that's a symbolic word to say. I get to define who I am, brand myself, right? And is my brand consistent? So words, yeah. So he has a book called The Language of the Third Reich, which he, you know, he, he observes it because he's a, a word guy. So he can read a newspaper during all these 12 years of the war and all the crap that happened to him. So he notices stuff in the paper, like like what Nazis, how they twist words and come up with words. So it's kind of fascinating to see how he, he picks out like, oh, okay, this means, you know, you read it and you're like, well, what does that exactly mean? And he tells you, this means, <laughs> this means we're going to... We're better than everybody else, and we're going to snuff out the Jews or something, right? Just this little language to manipulate people that he picks out because he's a word guy. It's kind of fun to read. I mean, that, that's so. If I was going to recommend any book, any book, it would be the language of the Third Reich and how he observes words are put together to push a political agenda. So that's kind of interesting. So now the church is blown apart. Rubble. Nobody really cares at this point. The war is still going on. Smoldering city. The war ends. The rubble's there. There's a big statue of Martin Luther just sitting there with rubble. And, uh, for some reason, from 45 to like 90, that's 45 years later, and the wall comes down. And uh, Putin was hanging out in Dresden as a KGB agent. And uh, the Russians never, the Russians never said, hey, you know, let's, let's get rid of all this rubble. Let's build some kind of... Uh, alter to the communist principles, right? They never did that. So that's, that was really nice. <laughs> I think they probably, they must have been thinking like, well, let's just leave this church in rubble. Just leave a pile of rocks here and then remind the people that where's your God, you know? And, I mean, it could, it could be giving a message like, where was God? You know, where was God? Look at you guys. Your church is blown to Smithereens, look at these rocks and rubble. So for 45 years, these big chunks of rock and destruction of this church sat there for 45 years. And in 1990, 91, 92, 
some of the uh, locals decided that, all right, let's rebuild this baby. You know, it's kind of near the center of downtown of the, the city. And it was 1770, right? So there's no cars back in 1770, 1780s. And uh, what I, the, the church has so much symbolism to me in just the basic architecture too, because what I'm about to say is that there's a square, there's a big open market area, and the church sits in a position that you can enter it from any side, okay? So it's not like a lot of American churches that say like, okay, you get the, the entrance is on this side of the building and that's it. You know, you got to come in on this side. And so I say that that architecturally symbolizes if you're going to enter into our church, you got to come in this way. You got to, and I'm really stretching the symbolism here, but I, I kind of feel it. It's like you, if you're going to, if you're going to come into our church, this is the entrance, people, right here. This is it. And I think the architectures back in the 1700s, they put a little more thought into it. And they were more artistic and more shen fui, shall we say, or whatever that word is, the Chinese. <laughs> That's a big diversion. But what I'm getting at is the there's doors on all sides of this church. You can come in. You're welcomed from wherever you are. Come on in. So I love that symbolism. And that's the essential architecture of this church. And then the more important part is the blown apart thing. The rebuilding with the stone. So if you Google it, look at pictures of the Frauen character, you'll see like what looks like a checkered, an unorganized checkered mass of the walls. You get black stones and new stones. You have the original stones mixed in with old stones. So I was fortunate, my wife and I, in about 1996 and 7 to go visit Dresden. And uh, they had racks of stones and they were numbering stones because this is going to be a 15-year project or so. And uh, so they numbered a bunch of stones. They had them racks. And the computer technology was good. So they did like computer modeling and trying to figure out like, okay, how we want to rebuild this church, but we want to use these old stones. And it's going to be a symbolic presentation to the world that um, well, you can take it a lot of ways, but the way I prefer to take it is that's kind of like our temple. We're human. We may get bombed, destroyed. Something in your life may feel like you are have these huge setbacks, right? And you didn't ask for it, right? These are forces outside your control. And wow, as I talk about it, it's pretty amazing. So you, if you're a local Dresden dude, you probably you may not even support the whole stupid Hitler crap, but you have you have no ability to fight against it. You know, you just got to go with it, whatever, right? And try to live your life. So then, the Nazis are so damn crazy that the rest of the world gets pissed off, rightly, blow the crap out of your city, and that kind of symbolically may happen in your life. You know, and things get messed up setbacks. 
and are they on the scale? I mean, what, what's to say to you, you only have your own temple, your own temple, your own life, your own body, that's it. So whatever circumstances and experiences you have, they're, they're unique to you, you know, so you get blown apart. And unfortunately, it may take 45 years for you to get some help to rebuild, you know? So you may have some, you may have been, I mean, I don't know how philosophical I can take this, take this stuff. Well, I can take it anywhere, but it's like if a baby's born, right? Some of you are young, have young children, right? They, they, you know they're not, quote, unquote, innocent, right? And a mother would probably laugh, like, oh, yeah, right. Kids are not innocent because they're always conniving something. But, um, but they just want to get what they want. They just want something, so they're trying to figure out how to get it. So, um, so anyways, they're pretty pure in the physical form at that when they're born, when they're born. But you might get blown apart at some point. Things may come down on you, blow you apart. And maybe 45 years in the rubble. You got rubble in your life. And you don't have to throw away everything for your past. You can honor the blown apart pieces of your life, your temple. This is more philosophical, mental thing than it is. Like, I'm not... The easiest physical analogy would be, well, if you had your arm blown off for some reason and now you got artificial legs or something, you know, that's that's a physical direct analogy. But it uh, turns out that our existence is probably more on the spiritual mental side than the physical. The physical is so easy to see, right? Just look at people we make snap judgments about people. We look at their exteriors. But every human has an amazing computer mind. Might be developed, might be an advanced development. You might be able to like fit in with a tribe of people that all think the same way you do. And so you might feel comfortable. Nobody's bombed your church, your temple. Life's good. Never had your temple bombed. <laughs> some of us feel like we've had our temple bombed. Right? Some some of us have that feeling. Or you you know, it might be February twelfth for you. It might be February twelfth. You might be going along, walking the streets of Dresden, thinking like, when's this war going to end? Twenty twenty four hours later. You're running for the air shelter and you got bombed like you've never been bombed before. Destroyed everything. But you survived it. Yeah. And we're all survivors. If you're listening to the podcast, you're breathing. You, you can look at it as just a gift of life or you can look at it like you escaped some, an asteroid hitting the earth or something. So that's my Frauenkirche diversion, which actually, I think that's pretty good, but it's not in my show notes, but it, it came off of Peter talking about Paul. And uh, so 
Peter gives a shout out to Paul, which I like. There's a passage that says, be on your guard. It says, you, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, fastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Savior. So, um, a lot of people sending you signals, you know, sending me signals, giving me virtue signals, telling me like, you know, if I don't want to do Jack for Jesus, then you got to do it his way. You know? Totally not part of the witty whiffum. It totally gets into comparison. Because if somebody thinks you're doing Jack for Jesus, well, then they must know the answer, right? That's kind of elevating themselves to a pretty lofty position of knowledge, which pisses me off. So in some ways, ironically, I can apply this to them. That's unprincipled, my friends. That's an error of unprincipled men. And yet their outward appearance is that they're superstars, PhDs. PhDs in theology and counseling, PhDs in state directors of a denomination. Yeah, yeah. That's who I, no, I'm going sarcastic, but we don't want to uh, follow the, if, there, if the principles are that we can judge and say, you over here, you're, you're just doing jack to Jesus. Like that's, that's not a good principle. So if it's not a good principle. It's kind of being unprincipled. And, uh, you know, so kind of cranks me up. And I prefer to be in the um, spiritual realm, mental realm, the thought, not the physical realm of outward appearances. So outward appearances, because sometimes following him is how we treat other people, especially in your family, growing in love, dousing, distribution, getting better, being more loving, being more kind. That's the direction, grace, moving that way. And that's, that's that. The other one was an environmental comment. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. So that, that probably influenced my thought on the bombing of Dresden because it was intense heat that destroyed stuff. But that was just one city, right? So I know it's good um, stewardship to take care of the earth. And I suppose, you know, I'm for being a good steward of resources. But it might be, it can be overdone. And some people are really zealous for 
extreme stewardship, I guess you'd say. Which sounds like, well, I mean, how can that be bad? Extreme stewardship. And I'm like, well, I don't, I just don't know if it's that. You know, like some people talk about like, we're going to just end all air travel. Like the benefits of, of us um, traveling and doing that far outweigh the, uh, than any burning of fuel that's been burning anyways for years. So it just becomes a debate about worldviews again, whether it's accurate or not. So I guess, you know, the debate about whether we're humans are like screwing up the planet. It's not, it's probably not a debate that'll ever be won. Um, but can I, I can probably support good practices, good stewardship. It's just, you can, we know that we can go overboard on that stuff. You can really do some silly things like we're, no one's going to fly anymore. Sorry. And I think with 7 billion people on the planet traveling, mixing, getting to know different cultures and things is somewhat valuable, right? So I'm all for air travel and uh yeah and uh i could see these verses being exploited to say like well the earth's going to be destroyed anyway so yeah we could be good stewards but i don't think god's number one objective is to save the planet and I think there's probably some element of truth in that. Like, yeah, it's kind of like the human condition and human toxicity. Um, and and uh, you, you can say like, well, looks like uh, the whole world is going to be destroyed. Some kind of ending. I don't know. That's apparently what it says. And that doesn't mean we should be irresponsible, but I don't think we should like super panic over stuff and just make adjustments as we go. Not try to dream up like fantastically crazy predictions like the earth is ending in 12 years, you know? And, uh, it might end in two years. <laughs> so for all those politicians screaming like the world's going to end in 12 years, you know, who's more powerful, God or the politicians, right? You know, so you, if you frame it that way, you know, if you have a faith in God, you'd probably say, well, of course, God's more influential than a politician. So, you know, if the world ends in two years, does that make those politicians right? And that's kind of an absurd question because if it does end in two years, then it won't matter. Nobody's going to care. Go, oh, well, you said it was going to be 12 years. Oh, <laughs> uh, being right. Is that overrated? Dang. Inaccurate worldviews. 
Anyway, I prefer, I think we all would prefer to have accurate worldviews. But sometimes even with inaccurate worldviews, we get good results too. And I don't know what the deeper philosophical meaning is about that. I'm just making a statement. You can do what you'd like with that. We're coming up on the near the end of this podcast here because we're heading home. Let me check now. I've been noticing that I've been going a little bit long on these things. Yeah, so it's 56 minutes right now. I'm going to wrap this baby up because I don't want to append down another segment and push it too far. So I think I pretty much covered it. Bud got a a one-hour walk today. This dog is like, wow. He is such a fortunate, good doggy. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So here we are. We're uh, got things to do today. You got things to do. So, so what? You're a temple. If you've been blown up, if you feel like you've been blown up in your life, you can be rebuilt. You know, and if you feel like you've sat around for 45 years without rebuilding that's okay you can start now rebuilding and if you haven't been blown apart uh just be aware that valentine's day 1945 might show up in your life in a different way so you can Um, prepare yourself as best as possible, but what's going to happen, happens. So we're not as powerful and in control as we might want to think we are. And maybe we're putting too much effort into trying to control things. And uh, that takes a lot of energy. All right, folks, it's been fun. I enjoyed that. I kind of like being connected to um, the Dresden Church through LinkedIn. And at some point, I will re-engage in communication, but I'm learning to have a little bit more element of, a little more element of discipline in my life. So instead of getting distracted by that at the moment, and we'll do more pressing matters and get to that in the future. So grace, mercy, and peace, everyone. May you enjoy the podcast.